Good morning. Today's lesson is from Paul's letter to the Philippians. In this part of the letter, he's trying to resolve some differences between people in the community. They've been uh, apparently some disagreements, and this is part of what he's saying to try to reconcile the community. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Skip. I invite you guys to pray with me as we continue our worship. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we close out Philippians, Lord, as we reflect on those words, uh, the promise that we don't have to be anxious, Lord, that we don't have to be captivated uh, by a broken world, but instead are uh, given permission uh, to focus on the good that you are doing in our lives and the lives around us. Lord, I pray that you encourage us. I pray that you challenge us. I pray that we leave a little bit closer uh, to who you've made us to be. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So again, this month, we have been going through all of Philippians. So literally, verse by verse, we've gone through talking about who our God is, what he is saying to this letter written to the church in Philippi some 2,000 years ago. And as we've gone chapter by chapter, we've made it a point to realize that these chapters that we have, in fact, all the chapters in the Bible, weren't originally there. The book of Philippians is actually a letter. And Paul didn't write out Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. Instead, he wrote a full letter to these churches. And what would happen is that they would be given to the pastor of the church or the elder of the church, and they would read these letters aloud as one long sermon, as one long point. And the reason why I bring that up is as we read through Scripture, one of the things that can artificially break apart what God is trying to do is we see, okay, so chapter 3 ended, so chapter 4 is an entirely separate thing, and so we separate those in our minds. But what we find in Scripture, and what we've seen a lot in the book of Philippians, is Paul keeps hearkening back to things he said before, and so none of this is written in isolation. And you see that clearly in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, where it starts off, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, with whom I love and I long for and crown, stand firm in this way, dear friends. Now, if all we had was chapter 4, stand firm in this way, that is really ambiguous. What is this way? What, what is he referring to? What's the whole point of this? Well, this way is what we talked about last week, which was in chapter 3, where Paul tells the church this. He says, only let us live up to what we have already obtained. 
talked a lot about this last week, about how our faith, our identity, isn't built by building a stairway to heaven. It's not about what we do that makes God love us. Instead, in Christ, what we see is a God who is willing to put on human flesh, walk around us, teach us, love us, die for us, raise back to life, and then because of all of that, our identity is now in Jesus. Grace alone. Faith alone. We said that God wrapped his arms around us and that we're now God's kids. But the whole point of Philippians 3 is if you're God's kids, act like it. Live up to that identity. Not because if you don't, God will love you any less, but because that identity, that reality that we are called to be and actually are God's kids is better than anything else the world can offer us. I know when I was in high school, I struggled a lot with self-worth. I always wanted to be the football player or the valedictorian. I wanted to be better looking. I wanted to be better at something. And I was reading through scripture in a Bible study. And there was a verse from 1 John 3, 1, where it says, For how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And it it just clicked for me. I realized that that was my identity. And that was better than being the quarterback or the best looking or the smartest or, or a president or whatever else the world could offer me. I was God's kid. And that identity gave me a foundation to stand on and to live up to. And it started to change how I lived with my family at home. And it started to change how I lived with my fellow students and how I interacted with teachers or coworkers. Because that identity is worth so much more. And so Paul starts off Philippians 4 by saying, y'all, I love you. I love you so much. So, So live that way. But then he provides context. And that context is this. He says, so I plead with you, Aduya, and I plead with you, and I'm going to slaughter this name. There are way too many consonants, but we're going to say it's Synthchi, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my companions, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause, uh, in the cause, and it's probably underneath, uh, in the cause of the gospel. It's good that I actually remember these. I'm like, oh, I I do know my Bible. Anyway, in the cause of the gospel. So what is this talking about? Well, there are two women in the early church, and we don't know what the argument is, but they are fighting over something. And what I love about this section of Scripture is sometimes we uh, we can look at the early church with rose colored glasses and be like, that's where the real church was. That's where the real Christians were. They were really following God. They never screwed up. And then you read the New Testament, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're always fighting. They're always bickering. They're always going at it. Because the early church, just like the modern church, is full of a bunch of broken people. Redeemed people. Loved people. But normal, everyday people. And they fought, and they argued. And their families were just as dysfunctional as our families were. And God worked in spite of them sometimes. And God worked alongside them sometimes. But God was for them. 
And so Paul writes and he says, hey, whatever beef these two chicks have, remember, it, it's not worth the gospel. It, it's not worth our identity in God. It's not worth sacrificing living up to that. Because what God has offered us is better than that. And again, for me, I find encouragement, not in their pain or in their discomfort, but in realizing that the stuff that we see in the modern-day church, in modern-day Christianity, in North Austin and beyond, isn't anything new because sin isn't new. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Same broken folks. This time of year, I like to talk about how God specializes in the island of misfit toys. Remember that from Rudolph the Red-Dolls Reindeer? And and they go to this island and all the toys that just don't work the way they're supposed to. That's the entire church. That's all of humanity. All of us together are just a bunch of broken people doing the best they can fighting this thing called sin, but we have a God who specializes in toys like that, in people like that. That's the good news. That's the gospel that our identity doesn't have to be in how we don't work, but instead our identity is in who God sees us and who he made us to be in his image. And that, Paul says, is what we focus on even when there are contentious issues. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And that sounds nice, doesn't it? This time of year, right, we got all these things about joy to the world and, ah, things are good and lights are going up around our house. Things are, things are, it's a fun time of year. Just a little FYI, when Paul's saying that, he's in prison. Right? Paul isn't living his best life. Paul isn't happy, wealthy, and wise. He's literally contained in a cell that if people don't bring him goods, if people don't remember him, he's going to die there. And yet, even in that circumstance, he writes to the church and he says, Rejoice in the Lord. Always rejoice. Why? Why, Paul? You're in jail. This isn't a good time to be you. You should be weeping. You should be wailing. You should be friggin' flaming people on social media. But, but the trick, the Lord is near. But that's why he could rejoice. Because, yeah, he was in jail, and it, it wasn't great. In fact, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But his attitude his focus, his joy was deeper than his earthly circumstances because God was with him. Again, that comes with our identity, that we're never alone, that it's never us by ourselves or us and our family against the world. And I mean, that's, that's a lot of where our brokenness right now is coming from. Right? We, we see the brokenness of the world, we, we see the division And we think it's us versus them. And so we have to fortify our position. We have to get more of us to overcome them, whoever they are. But Paul's mindset isn't that way. He says, y'all, God's with me. You know where a 600-pound gorilla sits? Wherever he wants to. 
We got the 600-pound gorilla at our back. We have the God of the universe advocating for us and fighting for us. And because of that, we can have a different mindset, a different mentality, even when things are difficult. And again, Paul isn't playing pretend. He's not saying, hey, everything's great and I'm happy about all my circumstances. Again, give me like five more verses and we'll talk about that. But even in spite of those circumstances, Paul was able to find joy. And then he unpacks, in my opinion, one of the greatest gifts of our identity as God's kids. That we get to deal with anxiety and hardship different than the rest of the world does. And again, anxiety, that's my big personal challenge. I am an anxious human being by my own nature. I can get anxious about my bank account if it drops below a certain point. I can get anxious about my house and whether or not something's going to break. I can get anxious about relationships. And I get trapped in this cycle, right? And it just spins up faster and faster and faster and faster and it, it holds me tighter and tighter. Cuts off anything of what God wants to give. And yet, in this scripture, God gives us a way out. He says, do not be, oh, God's with him. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the words again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Y'all, if there is ever a verse to commit to memory, if you are like me who struggle with anxiety, it's this one right here. Because what this verse is, is it is a promise to get off the Ferris wheel of fear. And this is how it works. Real situations come into our lives. Right? You, you get news from a doctor. That, something with your body may not be working. That, that is real. You read a news article about whatever it is. And you're, you start to feel it. Right? That, that, that nagging feeling, that concern that the country's going the wrong direction or what's going on with COVID now or what is this group doing? Right? It starts to like grab our hearts. Right? Relationships and family where, where you just see them dissolving. Whatever the fear is, this is how it works. Go to God. Stop reading. St stop going down the rabbit trail of, well, if this happens, this person's going to do this. Stop, stop. And give it to God. God, I, I, I pray for our healthcare workers and our governments of the world to figure out the best way forward with COVID. God, God I pray for this family member that, that they, they can meet you or they can let go of this trauma or they can be healed. Present your request to God. 
And again, this is something I physically do. Because this is how I hold on to all the stuff I hold on to. I white-knuckle it, right? My finances, my family, my house, the church. And, and I cling to it because I'm scared if I let go of it, somehow the world is going to unravel. Because as if my clinging to something is going to keep it okay. Any of you all ever do that? Right? Like, me holding on to this thing is the only thing that is stopping COVID from completely destroying this country. It's ridiculous. Thank you. So how do I get off the Ferris wheel? I present my request to God. I open my hands to the God of the universe who says he's my father, who actually can fix this stuff, who can fix my family. And I give it to him. And then I let him take it. God, I, I pray for this country. I pray for our leaders of this country. God, I pray for my church that we, we find a way to figure out what comes after 2020. Right? We open our hands. We give it to him. And now here's the trick. Our sinful nature, our broken nature, will be like, God, take it. And then like, as it's floating away, we grab it and we hold back onto it again. Right? And we're like, okay, okay. But that, that, that's okay. Then you know what you do again? You open your hands. No, 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 God, sorry, sorry. Yes, no, no, seriously, though, take, take the country. Take, take my family. Take my finances. And then you may grab it again. You may grab it again a hundred times. Okay. Then 101 times, open your palms. Present your request to God. And then the promise that the peace of God, which transcends all earthly understanding, which transcends our best thinking will guard your hearts and your minds. And that promise, that ability to let things go to God, not just to play pretend that everything's okay, right? That's not what we're talking about. But to just open our hands and to let him take it and to believe that when we pray to him, he does something. The peace and the beauty of that, y'all, is one of the greatest gifts that we have. And then it leads to something, right? Because, okay, now our mind's open, right? We're not thinking about whatever that thing was. But what do we do? Well, Paul talks about that. He says, so finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, if it's pure or lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've seen or heard or received from me, put it into practice and the peace of God will go with you. Moving from anxiety to the good stuff. And y'all, yes, we live in a broken world, but there is so much beauty out there. So many things that God is doing whether it's in physical creation, whether it's being outside, whether it's hanging out with your family, whether it's eating a good meal. God gives us permission to focus on the good and on the beautiful. That because the whole world is not held together by me clinging to stuff, I get to actually focus on the good stuff. 
on the noble stuff, on the pure stuff, on the stuff that makes me laugh, on the cool stuff that God's doing in your life, your celebrations, your victories. We get to celebrate that together. We get to live in that light and that joy. Y'all, that is good news in a world that specializes in spinning us up and getting us so wrapped up in what's happening in a broken world that we forget about the good God who's working in it and the good gifts that he's given us as his kids. And Paul goes on, and then he starts to get specific about his circumstances. He says, I rejoice. Again, that word, rejoice. Yo, I have joy greatly in the Lord at last that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had the opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Okay, what Paul's talking about here, and again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Paul's in prison, and prison in the olden days worked differently. There wasn't a meal package for you. There were no showers. Literally, they would put you in a room with a locked door and a guard, and you only ate if someone sent you food. So Paul doesn't have any means, and so other churches are sending him supplies to make it through this stint in prison. So when he's saying, you guys sent me stuff, he's literally talking about real stuff. For I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, y'all, my, my circumstances don't impact my joy. Do you know where the word happiness comes from? Happenings. And happenings comes from the Latin word circumstances. Happiness literally comes from your circumstances. And sometimes your circumstances are good, right? Sometimes work's going well, family's going well, you just ate a good meal, football team just won, riding high. It's good to be happy. Sometimes your circumstances aren't great. Sometimes you're sick. Sometimes family is rough. Sometimes the circumstances aren't great and we're allowed to not be happy about it. God isn't asking us to play pretend, but that joy that allows us to rejoice can transcend even our circumstances. That's the promise. That's the hope. That's the gift of who our God is and what our God is trying to do in our lives. And then he says this word. He says, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Now, for a long time, this verse in the NIV was translated, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And this was one of the most abused and misused verses in all of Scripture. Because what would happen is a preacher would come up and say, you can do everything you want because God's going to give you strength. You want that new job? It's yours. If you don't have it yet, it's because you don't believe yet. You haven't prayed hard enough or you haven't given enough. Oh, you want to get healthy? Oh, don't worry. You can beat cancer. God's going to give you whatever you want. Does, is that what that says? Is the secret of being content getting whatever you want? No. Sometimes you're going to be hungry. Sometimes you're going to be sad. 
And so the newer translations get it closer to the Greek. I can do all of this. I can endure all of this. This being the stuff literally one verse before. I can endure being hungry. I can endure hard circumstances through him who goes with me and gives me strength. What I love about this section of scripture is it doesn't play pretend that life is always going to be great. Because it's not. There's going to be mountaintops and there's going to be valleys and there's going to be everything in between. And even in those valleys, we have the opportunity, the permission, and the gift to still find joy because God is with us. And the universe doesn't rest on us clinging to our problems. Instead, we are liberated to still look for and experience the beauty. And that's the good news here. And then he goes on. He says, Yet it's good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you. For even when, you were, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Again, you keep hearing this word shared in the gospel, shared in my troubles, shared in the giving and the receiving. Y'all, it's not your stuff. You are stewards of it. Be good stewards of it. But share. The American idea that it's about building as much as we can ain't Jesus, and it's not the good news. And it's just its own little prison. Learning to share, learning to give, learning to receive is part of how we live up to that identity and who God is and what God is doing. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that you'll be more credit to your account. I receive full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you have sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the glorious and glory in Christ Jesus. To God, our Father, be the glory forever and ever again. Hear that again. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches. God is not going to abandon you. Now, it might not always look like you would provide, uh, prefer. Daily bread for Paul still meant he was in prison, and yet God was still providing for him. God is going to provide you and your family with daily bread. And that is a gift, and that is a good thing. And that is something that we can hold to. And when we meet our final days, whether it's today, whether it's 50 years from now, our final breath on this side will breathe right into our first breath on the other, and eternal bread will be with us there as well. And then it ends. Greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and the sisters who are with me send their greetings. All God's people here send their greetings, especially those who belong to, this, uh, to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. Just guys, we're all one big family. 
brothers and sisters. And we're all part of the family business. What our Father is doing, what our Father is working towards. Seeing his kingdom, his reign, show up here on earth. We talked about it a lot last year, but about how justice literally means biblical outcomes. That is our business. And it is one family, not just here at this one local church, not just at Lutheran churches, not just at North Austin churches. God has one family. And some call themselves Baptists and some call themselves Catholics. Some are like, oh, no, 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 don't label me. One family on one mission. And we all have the privilege and the honor to live out of that family identity together. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite Tanner up. We're going to have some uh, time to reflect that shall then lead us into the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we close out Philippians, Lord, I pray that you help us take and remember the gifts that come with this book. Lord, that we don't have to cling to and hold to our fears, but Lord, that we can be liberated for them and liberated with a purpose to focus on and to cultivate the beauty in this world, the virtue that you have for us and that you want for the cosmos Lord, we pray that we can be bold to live out our identity as your sons and your daughters. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Take it away, Mr. Tanner. <laughs>